by way of a reminder, and especially if you are new to Lebanon Christian Church, the bulletin provides you a, um, a number of uh, just useful bits of information about us, why we do what we do, uh, what's happening here, things that are available for youth and children and adults. And so please check out uh, the bulletin. Uh, Don't just throw it away. Uh, But in there, there's this really important flyer. Uh, It's about the Living Hope Ministry. Uh, We've been talking about that since uh, the end of January. There's a new ministry being offered by Love in the Name of Christ or Love, Inc. here in Boone County to help provide housing for homeless people here in our county. And they want churches to be involved in that. And one of the ways they want us to do that is to serve as part of their rotating church model, that one week every quarter uh, we would host people at Lebanon Christian Church and provide them housing. And so we're asking you to pray about whether or not God would use you in that, if he's leading you in that. We've already had a number of responses. I would ask that you keep praying, even if you sense that it's not what God wants you to do right now in this season of your life, that God would raise up others to fill those roles. Uh, You can uh, sign up and express your interest through that uh, card in your bulletin. Just tear off the bottom tab and put it in the bulletin at the back. Or you can go to our website. If you scroll about two-thirds of the way down, you'll see a living hope icon. If you click on that, uh, you can see a number, a a whole bunch of more information about what you can do with Love in the Name of Christ with the Homeless Initiative. But also there's a form you can fill out. And that's probably the easiest way, uh, expressing your interest. If you still have questions, and maybe what's keeping you from expressing interest at this point is you just, you want to know more. Uh, This Wednesday at 6 p.m. right here in this room, uh, a representative from Love, Inc. will be here to answer your questions. Uh, It's an informational meeting. And again, next Sunday, uh, after the second worship experience, this worship experience down the hall and to your right, there's room 117, and someone will be there to answer questions as well. And so please keep praying about how God might use you uh, in uh, this homeless initiative. Also, that God would raise up others to serve in the homeless initiative. You've probably realized from now, I look a little different today. Um, I'm getting old is what they tell me. And so on Wednesday, a pair of glasses arrived and I'm trying to figure out how to use them and what that's like. I know some of you have been wearing glasses and contacts for years, uh, but for me, this has been kind of a mental hurdle to overcome uh, because uh, I had incredible eyesight. Uh, to tell you kind of about my eyesight, I was in ROTC my freshman year of high school, and I was sure I wanted to be uh, either a naval pilot or an Air Force pilot. And so even as a freshman, uh, they have you getting eye exams and things like that. And I passed those uh, to be able to hopefully be a fighter pilot someday. Obviously, the course of my life changed, but I have spent the first 40 uh, so years of my life just seeing incredibly well. Well, over the last several months, I noticed that my eyes were getting tired as I looked at things, whether it was watching TV or reading books, and I would look down at a page, and it wasn't that things were blurry, they just were a little fuzzy, not quite as crisp as they once were, and I thought, you know what, I better go see an eye doctor. And so I went to the eye doctor for the first time in 12 years, Uh, that's how long it had been since someone looked at my eyeballs, and uh, he did the whole, you know, click, click in the things, what about this? Now, what about this? Now, what about this? Which one's better? What about this? And so we did that whole, whole thing, and he, he moved the machine out of the way, and he, he rolled his seat up right up close to me, and he said, well, I've got good news, and I've got bad news. I was like, okay. He said, here's the good news. You have really good eyes. You have really healthy eyes. Here's the bad news. You're just over 40. And so it just kind of sank in, and like, I don't know about you, but I still visualize myself, I think, probably as a 25-year-old. I still feel pretty young. Um, And it was just like for me, this first moment that like this concrete evidence 
that I am aging. And, uh, and I know for some of you, you look at 41 going on 42 and you're like, oh, you're just a baby. I mean, some of you look at that and you're like, oh, holy cow, he's old. And, uh, and, but but here's, here's what it's like for me. So I, I know that the lifespan of the average male is somewhere around 80. And if I happen to live out those days, I realize that I'm already at the halfway point of my life. And I know that some of you have kind of asked some of those questions uh, that come with that. And so for me, it's just kind of one of those moments, like it was more mental uh, than physical. Uh, but one of the things I'm thankful for, for the, the, the eye doctors, they can come up with something, a prescription that will help you uh, see things uh, in, in a whole new way. And probably not even a whole new way. The better way to say it would be is that they can restore me to seeing the way I should be able to see. Uh, but you know, if you've ever worn contacts or, or glasses, the first time they got prescribed for you, it's a little bit of a battle, isn't it? Like you go from seeing one way and then all of a sudden you're supposedly seeing better, but yet you're getting headaches and you're trying to figure out what's happening. And just kind of the stage that I'm in today. And so if I blink a lot, then you'll kind of understand what's going on. But, but I want to be able to see things well. I want to be able to see things as they're supposed to be seen. I want you to hang on to that thought because as we jump into Luke chapter 2 today, we're studying Luke all year, what you're going to be invited into in these first 20 verses is the opportunity to see things clearly. To see things, we could say in a new way, but probably the more I think about it, just to see things in a restored way. See things as they were meant to be seen. When, when, when God brings Jesus into the world, he's ushering a whole new movement in his story with humanity. And his hope is to restore things to how they were meant to be. He knows that we've been separated from him because of our sin, because of our wrongdoing. And the only way to bridge that is that he's got to pay that price. He's got to pay the debt for our sin. And so he sends Jesus to save us, to make a way, and to restore what was broken all the way back in the beginning. He wants to make things new, make things like they were supposed to be. Just like the eye doctor wants to help me see, like I'm supposed to see. He wants to make things new. So what I hope you'll do is, is journey with us into Luke chapter 2 this morning and allow God to invite you into seeing as you were meant to see. Here's something I know about every one of us in the room, myself included. When we talk about seeing, sometimes we talk about physical, uh, physical vision, but other times we talk about understanding, don't we? we? We ask someone, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm coming from? We're not asking them, do you visually see my words? Now, if you're in minus 30 up in like Minnesota somewhere, like you can see poofs of air come out, but you can't physically see the words. You're asking, do you understand me? Are you, are you tracking with me? And my hope is that as we dive in, you'll uh, you'll see Luke inviting you to understand some things differently. In, in life, each of us has some places where things are just kind of fuzzy. Um, maybe we don't know what our relationship status is with a given person. Uh, maybe we don't understand why different things are happening in the world or why they're happening to me. Uh, maybe we have questions about how we fit in or how God has made us, what our place in the world is. And sometimes it's just a little fuzzy. We just need someone to help give us some clarity. And if we're honest, there are some times where things are really blurry, right? Where we just can't make sense of anything. Uh, when we were going through these eye exams, um, Audrey was talking to her mother and telling her that we'd all been for eye exams and that I was getting glasses and one of our sons was getting glasses. And, and her mom told her that she could remember the first time that Audrey got glasses. And she said she can remember riding in the car and, and Audrey just exclaiming, Something along the lines of, the trees have leaves. 
I can see the leaves. Audrey has a very strong prescription, and she had spent several of her early years not being able to see all of that. And I hope that if you're in that blurry place this morning, that we can give you some clarity. Now, I can't give clarity to every issue that's fuzzy or blurry for you. But what I can do is walk you through Luke's words. And here's some things he'll give us clarity on. He'll help us see the world differently. He'll help us see the world with a different perspective. He'll help us see more specifically the current events in our world from a different perspective. He's going to help us see God differently. He's going to help us see ourselves and other people differently. And so if you have your Bibles, find Luke chapter 2. And let's read just the very first part of what is traditionally called the Christmas story. I'm guessing even if you are not very familiar with Jesus or matters of faith or the church, uh, you're probably at least a little familiar with this story. Uh, It's what's quoted in Charlie Brown's Christmas story. We're going to look at the first first six verses first. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Let's just, oh, sorry, verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let's finish that, sorry. So these first six verses, Luke invites us, even if you don't see it initially, to think about how we see the world differently. Uh, Before I jump into that too far, for those of you that are keeping notes and tracking with us throughout this study of Luke, I told you in week one that fulfillment uh, was a big theme in Luke's gospel as he's helping people have certainty about what they've been taught. Uh, You might want to know that in verse six in the original language, that phrase, the time came for her to give birth, the time came for her, that's the word fulfillment there. That the time of the birth was fulfilled. It was time for this to come to completion. It's another instance of of God bringing fulfillment to what he has promised. So kind of off that aside and back to this idea of how we see things. He helps us look at our world differently. And again, on the surface, you might not see that. And before I give you too many details, I want you to think right now about how you see the world. How do you see the world? How do you understand the world? When you, when you look out, let's just start at a, a broad picture of global events. When you hear reports on the news, when, when you read things online, when, uh, when, when someone tells you about a, a global conflict, uh, a new invasion, a new epidemic, a natural disaster, when you think about the environmental concerns, uh, what do you feel? What do you see? What do you understand? Do you get frustrated? Do you get discouraged? Do you get overwhelmed? Do you have lots of questions? Do you have a lot of uncertainty? Like, like, like how do you feel? How do you see the world from that global perspective? Now, now let's, let's, let's dial in just a little bit more. Let's kind of look more at our culture and our society. How, how do you see things? How do you perceive things? What do you understand about what's happening just in the United States of America right now in our culture? Uh, we, we've had a pretty big week uh, in, in America um, from something as simple as a halftime show that created all kinds of buzz and a variety of opinions uh, to a State of the Union address that had a lot of controversy and a variety of opinions 
to an impeachment trial that had a, a lot of opinions and, and controversy. Uh, and when you throw in the Iowa caucuses, like, well, who, who knows what to make of that mess, right? Um, a lot of controversy and opinions. Uh, and the list just kind of goes on and on. There's, there's a lot going on. How do you see it? How do you understand it? Again, does it discourage you? Does it frighten you? Does it leave you a little bit overwhelmed? Does it leave you asking questions? Now, let's dial in just a little bit more just to your personal life. Think about your own circles of influence, your own relationships, your own job, your own career, uh, uh, your, your own education, your recreation. Like, um, what, how do you see that? How do you understand that? I know that for uh, many of our students, it's been a big week for uh, high school basketball players. Uh, it was girls sectionals and then boys sectionals are coming. For our swim teams, it was sectionals this last week. Uh, our musicians and, and band had competitions. I mean, there was a lot going on. Science fair was going on, I think, at the middle school. Like, there was a lot happening uh, in the lives of, of our students. And for some of them, they had great victories and some of them had... Uh, painful defeat. And so how does that make you feel? How do you see your world? How do you experience that? Uh, for our, our young adults, you know, you're processing and trying to find, are you going to settle down and, and, and marry somebody? Is there going to be a family in your future? Like, how do you understand those circumstances? Some of you are, are seeing marriages end or you're, or you're just hoping to have the opportunity one day. Some of you are, are longing to maybe have children of your own. Some of you have lost jobs this week. Like, like how, do you, how do you see your world as it gets up close? In, in these verses, uh, Luke invites us to see all those things in a new way. Maybe you're wondering, I, get, I got this question a lot when I was in youth ministry, like, why should we care about Caesar Augustus uh, in these verses? Why should we care about who Quirinius is? What does it mean to be registered? What's a census? And uh, that's the other word that's used in some of our other versions. Like, why is that important? It's important for a couple reasons. One is that Luke shares these historical details very specifically, not only in this part of his gospel, but other parts, and in his, his account of the early church in Acts, because he wants to link the history not only of Jesus, but of his people to historical events. In doing so, he shows that these are real things that happened. For his original audience, 70, 80 AD, no one would have questioned whether Caesar Augustus was a real person. They'd heard the stories, they'd heard the whispers, they'd heard the rumors. Uh, they had family members that lived underneath his rule. He was the first great emperor over the Roman Empire. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And following Julius Caesar's death, the Roman Empire was kind of ruled by three different people in what they called a triumphant. But then, then eventually, uh, Caesar Augustus, his name was Octavian at the time, rose to prominence. And the whole Roman Empire was united around underneath his sole leadership. Like he was the first great emperor of Rome. He's an emperor whose reign was known as being a reign of peace. In fact, people thought he was such a great ruler that there was a sculpture found in Asia Minor, an inscription read on it, that he was the savior of the human race. That's how Caesar Augustus was portrayed, and people knew this. And so Luke, by linking Jesus' birth to this time, he says, this is a real man who lived in a real time. Among real people, he's not a, he's not a Harry Potter figure. He's, he, he's not a Mickey Mouse. He's not something for fiction and fantasy. Like, he's real. And that's significant. 
But what's even more significant is that Luke wants us to see that while historical events are unfolding, that God is still ultimately in control. That God is working through and in and over the things that are happening in this world. He tells us about Caesar Augustus' decree that people are going to come and get registered. So when he consolidates the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire still wants to expand, it still wants to be healthy, it takes money to do that. So taxation is the ultimate way to do that. So he has everybody come back to their home ancestral towns to get registered. Then he has a count that they can base their taxation policies on that, and they can fund the Roman Empire. So Caesar Augustus is thinking only about the empire. He's thinking about wealth and fame and honor and all those things that come with being Caesar. He has no idea uh, of God's prophecy in Micah that the savior of the world, the son of God, would come from Bethlehem. He has no concept of that. People refer to Caesar as a god. People are worshiping him like he's a deity. People are declaring that he is the savior of the human race. He has no interest in this god of the Jews. And yet God has this decree issued by this king who's, who's not following him. And what does it do? It leads to Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy of Micah. Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Matthew recounts this. Where out of Bethlehem I will call my son, is what Micah the prophet said. So it's showing that that even as history unfolds, even as people who are ignorant of who God is or intentionally don't follow him are living their lives, that God works in and through all those circumstances to accomplish his purposes. I hope you can grasp the tremendous hope that is in that for you. That if we will just take on what Luke is saying and put them on, he gives us this new way to see that we can see our circumstances differently. Yes, there are things that happen in our life that are unpleasant. There are things that happen in our life that grieve us. There are things that happen in our life that we don't understand. There are things that happen in the world that we question. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and I've asked God, why is there still slavery in our world? As my my, my wife and our children have been studying the early parts of American history and the slavery that was present then, like how can another human being take advantage of another human being in that way? Like I ask those questions But what this allows me to do is to distance myself just a bit to be able to say, okay, God, these aren't things that please you. These aren't things that you said, I want there to be slaves. I want people to hurt. These are evidences of sin in our temporary world. But I will work in them and through them and over them to still accomplish my purposes. That God works in and through your life, in and through the events of this world to do things. It's a whole new way to see things. Let me give you just a small example from, from this week. My, my grandfather on Tuesday had heart surgery. He had an artificial valve, uh, aortic valve put in. And so I went over to Champaign, Illinois, about an hour and 40, hour 45 minutes away, and um, was present with my parents. I, I prayed with him in the hospital. And if I'm honest, um, we wondered why it was taking so long for the doctors to schedule this surgery because a little over 18 months ago, his physicians told him if he didn't have this done that he would... Uh, not have very long to live. So we kept wondering, why is it taking so long? Why are there so many tests? Why are there so many this and so many that? And it just seemed like it kept getting pushed back. So I'm over there, and uh, things went really well for my grandfather, waiting for him to move to recovery. And uh, my parents are hungry. I'm hungry. And so I'm like, hey, I'll go get us some food. And 
I'm walking out, and if you, if you remember Tuesday, Tuesday's when the cold front came through, so we went from having like those 60s on Sunday and Monday, and so if you're just a little bit west of here, about 11 o'clock in the morning, like the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour, the wind chill was down to like 20, I'm just hustling to my car, and as I get a few steps away, getting ready to step off the curb, someone an hour and 45 minutes away calls my name. I said, Craig! I looked up, and I noticed this young woman walking towards me, and I knew who she was. She was a young woman that we had had in our youth group more than 10 years ago when we worked in central Illinois. I walked over, and I gave her a hug, and I said, how are you doing? She said, if I'm honest, not very well. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, our 14-month-old son is in ICU with RSV. And so I talked with her for a moment, and she was rushing off to be with him. I went and got lunch and came back, and I was committed. I was going to find her in the hospital, and I did. I went to ICU, and I was able to pray with her and her husband and over her young son. I do not believe for a moment that that was just chance. I don't believe for a moment that that was an accident. Why? God did not say, hey, I want this 14-month-old to get sick today. God didn't say, hey, I want your grandpa's surgery to be delayed Those things happen in our world, but God says, you know what, I'm going to work over and in and through those circumstances, and he did, and he does it again and again and again, and that should fill you with hope that even when life hurts, and even if we can say it, and some of you don't like this word, but it's what we feel sometimes, even when life sucks, okay, God is good, and God is faithful, and God is working. And we don't always see how, we won't always know why, we won't get all of our questions answered, but he is faithful. It's a whole new way to see the world. Here's some verses that come to mind uh, when when I think of this. One is uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Uh, By the way, these might be some verses that if you want to underline them or highlight them or or note them in your app would be good. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9. Just listen to these words of wisdom. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In their hearts, humans plan their course. Many of you in this room plan out your days, your weeks, you schedule your time and your appointments, you fill out your bullet journals and and your day planners and your online schedules. So in our hearts, humans plan their course. We make plans. Some of you know what you're doing this afternoon. Some of you know what you're doing this evening. Some of you do know what you're doing six months from now. But even as we in our hearts plan our course, look at the next part of that. But the Lord establishes their steps. God is working. Reminds me of another great verse, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Um, To give you a bit of a background, uh, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, uh, the father of the people that become the Israelites that are charged with eventually bringing God's blessing into the world and the Messiah generations later. Um, He has these sons, and uh, they decide to pick on their one brother, Joseph. They actually sell him into slavery. That might be a tad bit more than just picking on. And uh, he gets shipped off, and he ends up in Egypt. Seems like incredible, unfortunate circumstances. And uh, in, in Egypt, he ends up rising to a position of prominence. He becomes second in line only to Pharaoh, who's the most powerful man in the world. A famine comes. God gives Joseph incredible wisdom. They, they save this food. And now people of the world come to Egypt uh, for food. And Joseph's brothers and his father end up getting to come to Egypt to be rescued. 
Well, Jacob dies, the father dies, and now it's Joseph and his siblings, and their sibling is the most powerful man, second most powerful man in all the land, and they're thinking maybe Joseph's going to get back at us for everything that we did to him when he was a boy. And this is what Joseph tells them, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, bad things, awful things happened, but God did not stop working through them to accomplish his purposes. The New Testament parallel to this is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we know that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Will you take on the new glasses this morning? Think about your life, the things that frustrate you, the things that overwhelm you, the things that seem fuzzy or distorted that you're looking for clarity in. And can you have a confidence that God is working over and in and through? Can you have a new way to see the world? Uh, Beyond a new way to see the world, there's a new way to see God in these verses. How do you view God right now? Like, what comes to mind when you think of God? Some of you maybe think of him as a judge. We're talking about Caesar Augustus who ruled from a seat of power miles away. Maybe you think of God as someone who's distant and just uh, exercises his authority over mankind. Maybe you think of God as a rule giver. Maybe you think of God in a number of forms, angry, whatever. How do you view God? How do you see God? Well, let's let Luke invite us into a new way to see him. Verses 7 through 12. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These words invite us to see God differently. I really want to focus on verse 7 and verse 11. Uh, Verse 7 first, we have Mary giving birth to Jesus. She wraps him up. uh, She swaddles him. She puts these, uh, these clothes on him to help keep him secure and snug. And then she places him in a manger. What we see here is Mary and Joseph who've traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. As they approach Bethlehem, Mary goes into labor and they have to find a place. And so whether it was a cave where animals were kept, we don't know for sure. That's kind of the historical, traditional view. Or whether it was this one-room house and there wasn't room upstairs and so they went downstairs to have room to deliver a child. We don't know those answers. But what we do know is that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, was born in incredible, humble circumstances. He was born among livestock And his first bed was not an ornate crib. It it was a feeding trough. Just think about that for a moment. The God of heaven and earth who created you and created me, who placed the stars in the sky and knows them by name, 
that same incredible, mighty, all-powerful God chooses to come in human flesh, and he doesn't announce it with trumpets. He he doesn't announce it by, by having him born in this great palace. What does he do? He has him born and placed in a manger. It says something about God, that he's willing to draw close and to come into common places to be near his people. Now keep in mind, in this day and time, the gods that the Greeks and the Romans were worshiping, they were distant. Like they, they wanted nothing to do with the affairs of man. And here's a God who chooses to draw close. That says something about our God. But then when you contrast that or juxtapose that, set that apart from what we see in verse 11, you see something beautiful. The shepherds are told by the angel, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three titles for the Son of God. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Luke, by the way, will emphasize Christ or Messiah and Lord throughout the Gospel of Luke and throughout the book of Acts. So here's the angel who declares that this, this, this one who comes from God is their Savior. He rescues from sin. That's pretty incredible. He is Christ. He fulfills the great expectation of the ages that a king will come to rule over God's people and deliver them. He's also Lord. He wants to lead them and direct their lives. So we have this God who comes close and is humble, who is also Savior, Christ, and Lord. And as you put these two together, you see that while Our God is a God who wants to rule our lives and reign over our lives. He's also a God who's willing to come close to us. So not only is he a king, but he's a caring king. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he wants to direct your life. Yes, he wants for you to be a servant, to respect his leadership and to honor him. But he's a loving Lord. Yes, he's a savior who rescues, but he's also a savior who serves and a savior who sacrifices. It's a God like no other. And I hope that no matter what perception you have of God and what he's done through Jesus, you could see him differently. That you could have your view of God restored. That he is a God who cares immensely for you and for all of humanity. And yes, he does want to rescue us from our sin. Yes, he does want to rule over our lives. Yes, he does want to lead us and be our Lord. But it's because you matter to him and because he knows what's best for you and he knows what's best for me. That's what he wants. There's a new way to see the world. There's a new way to see our God. And and even more, there's there's a new way to see ourselves in that story. If you're tracking with us in this series, this is the third angelic announcement uh, that we've covered so far. The first was to Zechariah, um, that God had heard his prayer, and that even though they were in their old age, his wife Elizabeth was going to give birth to a man named, that would be John the Baptist, that would prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, God comes in, a, in, in an angel, as a messenger to Mary, and says, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, that the Spirit's going to conceive this inside of you. And now we have an angel of the Lord appearing to shepherds. The first two were the immediate recipients of the promise. But now the angel appears to these men. There's something profound that happens here. Shepherds uh, were some of the most common, uh, viewed as the most 
just status quo, average Joes and Janes in the first century world. Some have said that the shepherds were despised, and it depends on how you understand that word. I think typically we think of the word despised, and we think that people don't like you, they don't want you around. That's not how they viewed shepherds. Shepherds were important. They cared for the sheep, but they were just common. They weren't highly valued citizens. They didn't have a lot of prominence, a lot of power. And so God chooses to reveal that his son has been born, not to chief priests, not to Pharisees, not to Sadducees, not to intelligent rabbis, not to the teachers of the law, not to the Levites. Who does he bring it to? Shepherds. Just common, average people. That says something significant. It says that God values life a little different than we do. Great news typically comes to the elite first. Uh, You look at some of our poorest parts of the world, and and when disasters strike, who gets taken out first, like rescued first? The elite, the the rich. God, God, God comes first to the shepherds. It says something about the value of every human person. It doesn't matter how many sectional championships you have. It doesn't matter whether you're a businessman, businesswoman, or a trash man, or a trash woman. You have incredible value in God's eyes. This invites us to ponder something incredibly significant about Jesus. What we will see in Jesus' life going forward is that Jesus often draws nearest to those who are the most common in society, the sick, the hurting, the struggling. It's not that the rich don't matter to him. He gives opportunity after opportunity to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others to repent. But but, but he knows something about us as people. Typically when we have more and more affluence, more prestige, more power, more physical beauty, those things can stand in the way of us depending upon God. But here are these common shepherds. And here among us, just common people, typically are more open to what God has to do and God has to say. If you're here this morning and you feel insignificant, if you feel like you just, you don't have any special talents or abilities, like maybe you can roll your tongue or something, but like, like how, how am I special? Like, I don't have anything that draws people to me. I don't have a great financial portfolio. I don't have a fancy house. I, <clears throat> I don't have <clears throat> incredible friends or I don't know the right people. Then, then maybe you can see that that doesn't matter to God because he comes to shepherds. And maybe if you're one of those who has a lot or you're beautiful in the eyes of the world or you have an incredible car or an unbelievable home, I don't want you to feel guilty for that, but I want you to see that your stuff doesn't define you. It's not what you have. It's not who you know. It's not how much you have in the bank because God cares desperately for you in spite of those things if you didn't have them. You matter to him. We need to take on his eyes and and see people the way he sees them. I love those words that uh, Samuel is reminded of as he's looking for the next king of Israel. Uh, God reminds him that he doesn't look at outward appearances, but he looks at the heart. He tells Samuel, I don't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearances, but I look at the heart. I, I told you before, I don't really do the life verse thing. There's so many verses that mean a lot to me. 
But I've taken a lot of encouragement from that verse over the years. I've spent 42 years looking in the mirror at this, right? So I'm thankful that God does not look at outward appearances, that he looks at the heart, right? God looks at your heart. He came for shepherds. He came for shepherds. Once you realize that you can see yourself in a new way, that God cares for you and God values you, you can begin to see how much he values other people. Here's something, I don't know if you've realized this or not. Uh, This is a freebie today. It's really hard for you to treat other people well if you don't like yourself. If you don't believe that you have value, chances are you're not gonna see that in someone else. You may want to, but, but if you're not happy with your own life, it's gonna manifest itself in not being happy with other people. If you don't meet your own expectations, no one's gonna be able to meet yours. Until you understand how much you're valued and cared for, it's going to be hard for you to help somebody else see how much they're valued and cared for. But here's what we see in the shepherds. Let's pick up in verse 13. And suddenly there was this, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds hear this report. Then suddenly this army of angels surrounds them and they give glory to God in the highest. The angels never once tell them, you have to go see Jesus. They just simply say, here's a sign. But what happens when, they're, when the angels leave? The shepherds talk amongst themselves. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go see the child. Like, this is incredibly fascinating. Like, 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 if he is who they say he is, let's go check this out for ourselves. And it says they leave in haste. Those are the exact same words that, are, that describe Mary when she hears the announcement from Gabriel. They have this eagerness, this desire to go and check it out for themselves. How many of us are our lives characterized by an eagerness to discover who Jesus is and what he has to say about our lives? If we're told that there is a God who loves the world so much that he sends his one and only son to die for us that we all would live rather than perish, wouldn't we want to eagerly chase after that and discover that and mind the depths of that? Yet how many in the room have heard about Jesus but you've never said, okay, I need to really figure out if he's real? How many of us in the room at one point in our life came to believe and have faith and trust in him but yet we treat our faith so casually? Where's the eagerness? Where's the going with haste? Because he is the Savior, he is the Christ, he is the Lord. And look at what happens when they find him in the manger, just like the angel said. What do they do after that? When they see Jesus for who he is, and they know what, they, what they've been told is true. They go out and they tell other people about it, don't they? It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They tell others. This moment has transformed them. Now they want other people to see how it can transform them. And I wonder, are we filled with the same zeal when we experience this God who gives us a new way to see the world? This God who invites us to see him and his care and his love and his desire for humanity in a whole new way. 
This God who's enabled us to see our lives as a part of this much bigger picture, this unfolding story of God's grace and work in this world. Do we want to help other people experience that for themselves? Do we want to tell others that they might trust and follow Jesus like we ourselves have? See, this gives us a whole new way to see. It restores our vision of what God believes about the world, what he believes about his son, what he believes about us and our part in that story. One final thing. We're introduced to another theme that Luke will develop throughout the gospel. Remember that his initial audience are these believers who are questioning, who are wondering, is Jesus really is who we've come to believe him to be? And and Luke writes, uh, Luke chapter 1, the very first verses, that he wants them to have certainty about what they've been taught. And so he will emphasize peace Again and again, the peace that only God provides, peace to the Jew, peace to the Hebrew person was that of shalom, was that of fullness, was, was wholeness. And, and that's what God wants them to see, that there can be peace, there can be wholeness, there can be fullness no matter what's happening in life. The angels declare on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God can provide a peace that allows you to endure in this world through its difficulty. He provides that peace in us understanding who he is and what he has to say about our lives. He provides that peace that helps us find our place in this world and that peace that enables us to have the strength to help others find their place in the world. Will you choose to take on the glasses that Luke gives us here, put them on and just see differently, see your world differently, see your God differently, see your life and the life of other people differently. It's not a decision I can make for you. You've got to choose to respond to what he's done. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for just your incredible, patient, perfect work in this world, Father. I thank you that you have not given up on humanity. That, Father, at just the right time, Paul says, you came. And, Father, through Jesus, you've given us a whole new way to see what happens in life what unfolds around us and our personal experiences and beyond in the world. You've given us a whole new way to to understand you, our maker, our creator. And God, you've given us a whole new way to understand ourselves and our place in this world. So help us, Lord, guide us. I ask for those that have yet to come to believe and trust and accept what you've done, that you would prick them and provoke them and convict them to find their life in you. And Father, for maybe those in the room who have, uh, would say they've worshipped you and followed you their whole lives, but maybe they've kind of been distracted or taken a detour, would you invite them back? Would, would they confess and repent and, and be restored? And God, for those who are patiently following you but have a lot of questions, God, help them to see clearly. Fill them with hope and joy. Encourage them. Overwhelm them with your peace. God, may you be honored through our song over the next few moments. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.